people knew that exercising and moving your body was a good thing. They knew that eating well was a good thing. Uh, they knew that binging was not a good thing. However, it, unless we deal with that, there's no amount of, I could write up the best plan in the world for somebody, but unless we deal with that root cause or those issues, nothing's really going to work or it's only going to work very short term. Are you struggling with bloating, gas, constipation, and fatigue, but don't know what's causing these problems? The Gut Health Reset Podcast with Dr. Anne-Marie Barter dives deep into the root causes behind these issues that start in the gut. This podcast will give you the knowledge you need to heal your gut and reset your health. Today, we are unpacking a huge issue around emotional eating. And we unpack this with when we're feeling happy, we want to go out for ice cream. And when we're feeling sad, we want to have ice cream. And so we want to look at today our associations with food and why we have them and where they came from and the emotions associated with those associations. So if I'm happy, I want to have ice cream. If I'm sad, I still want to have ice cream. And so we're looking at how to break these associations and how to do small sustainable changes to help us move through why we crave certain foods and be a little bit more neutral when it comes to foods. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and my special guest is Tanya, and she's worked in the health, wellness, and fitness industry for over 25 years. She is a diplomate and nutrition, holistic health practitioner, and she's recognized on the American Association of Drugless Practitioners. Her career started out in the realm of science, but became very clear to her that the real change in optimal health and wellness was much more sustainable and fulfilling when it was part of a bigger picture of total health and wellness that nurtures as well as heals the body, mind, and spirit. Tanya, thank you so much for being here with oh, us today. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so excited to have you on, and I just feel like we have so much to talk about, and this is such a big topic and such yeah. a topic that you and I know, um, right. So many people struggle with, right. Um, right. and so, you know, I think, I guess my first question to you is, um, why do people choose to eat things that they know they shouldn't eat and they know it's bad right. for them, but right. they can't help themselves. Right. Um, well, I have a few things to say about that because I, I agree. I think I do really feel and believe that most people know what good eating is or healthy eating or healthier eating is. I think most of us, if you put a big plate of, you know, candies in front of us and then a plate of fresh fruits and vegetables and lean meat, people know what the better option is. So I don't think it definitely is uh, a lack of an understanding or an awareness. I really do think like we're as human beings, we have relationships with everything. We have relationships with people. We have relationships with our pets, with um, places that we visited, and we have relationships with food. So when we establish these relationships with food, we kind of fall into these default patterns. So it may be depending how we grow up and what that environment was like, we've fallen into this uh, pattern of behavior where food is like punishment or reward. And so typically, if we're going to reward ourselves with something, we'll reward ourselves with something like cheesecake and maybe lots of it, you know, um, and and the same goes for if we want to punish ourselves, like now we're feeling down, we've had a bad day. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as comfort eating or stress eating. And people will just, you know, mindlessly sit there in front of the television or just in this 
emotional place of not feeling great about themselves and just mindlessly eating. So it becomes easy to consume foods that are less healthy for us in greater amounts because there's something about when things aren't going great, that just that's the one thing that feels good that we can control. So I think it comes down a lot more to emotional um, responses by us and um, our relationship with food. And that that is built on a lot of things, you know, over time. Let's go into what those things, what what's built on that. And I'll, I'll just say from yeah. my experience, I remember when I did a good job, when I got great grades in school, yeah. we would go out for yogurt. And so I associated, wow, I did a good job. Good for me. Yay. Round of applause. And then we go out to get yogurt. And so, you know, so that was a treat. And I I feel like I've had to break that cycle to be like, oh, I did a great job. I'm going to reward myself with something sweet. Right. And that's a great example. And I think a lot of people that'll resonate with them, um, you know, food is definitely a reward. It's definitely a reward for doing well on something. And it's also a form of punishment. So again, you may have grown up in a household where, oh, everybody got great grades on the report card. Everybody's going out for ice cream. It's a lovely thing for parents to do. It's a wonderful thing. Um, But it can certainly plant a seed that that association of doing something really well or really being successful at something and then rewarding it with something that you consume that you put into your body that may be high in sugar or high in dyes or or whatever. Um, On the opposite side of that is um, maybe, and I'll just use like a younger child for an example in an environment where maybe things were withheld, like, um, you know, uh, you didn't, you didn't pass, you failed. So you don't get dessert tonight, or you don't, you know, something of that nature where it was taken away or withheld. So now, um, you know, that again, that's another form of control. So maybe we're not, you know, have a bad day at work, have a fight with our spouse, our, you know, our pet dies and we're feeling bad. Well, we're going to give ourselves, we're going to reward ourselves instead with that because nobody can control that anymore, but we can control it. So that was a deprivation thing. And so now we're going to replace it by giving us that thing. Um, so it, it just becomes this, it just becomes this relationship of how you're raised, what that environment was like, what was the relationship your family had? Like, how was food used? Was it, you know, did you sit down to family dinners and have conversations about your day? Was there's lots of healthy options on the table? Was it a really um, busy household? a single mom and lots of kids and just trying to get people fed so that you could move on to the next thing that had to be done. And so that sometimes is a lot of quick, easy meals that maybe don't have the most nutrition value, but food was just like, I got to get them fed because I got to get back to work or I got to get everybody to soccer. So all of these things happening create these, you know, neurological pathways in our brain and how we associate with food. And So now when, like with my business, when I had my own company, when people would walk in, that was where we had to get back to. Like, where was this coming from? Because people knew that exercising and moving your body was a good thing. They knew that eating well was a good thing. Uh, They knew that binging was not a good thing. However, unless we deal with that, there's no amount of, I could write up the best plan in the world for somebody, but unless we deal with that root cause or those issues, nothing's really going to work or it's only going to work very short term. And that can be really tough for people because sometimes they're like, well, what do you mean? I, there's, I don't have a problem with food. And it's like, really? (laughs) Well, let's talk about that, you know? (laughs) And how do you feel like 
you know, because unwinding these mm. habits, unwinding these pathways is challenging, right? Because yes. we, we, we do what we know. We like what we know. We're creatures mm-hmm. of habit. We generally like routine. So how does it look when you're starting to unwind some of these habits? Ah, that's a great question. Because um, with that, like as we're growing up and those, all these, you know, the, this mapping, this wiring system in the brain, there's a lot of growth that happens up till into like, you know, the teenage years. So we can't like cut those out or take them away. They're there, like they're wired in. But what we can do, it's like a muscle. If we exercise new things, those get stronger. So if, if we can get somebody to a point where they're open to the conversation of, okay, well, I realize these are your goals and I can write you a great plan. I just don't know that that's going to get you there quicker than if we address what's kind of going on here behind the scenes. And when they're open to that conversation, you can have it and you can sort of go, okay, all right. So here's some things, here are some triggers, here are some beliefs that you have around food and that association. And when they can see that, like there's a, the awareness and then understand that, oh, this has kind of been like a driving force. You know, I get, I do, I get a promotion at work. I go buy all the junk food. I come home like, you know, or I, you know, I get a a compliment from my boss on a great project done well. And I go out for, you know, cake and ice cream and stuff like that. So when they can become aware of that, that that's the pattern and then understand why, then it's a lot easier to work with somebody and go, okay, so what are some of the, what are some other things that we enjoy? What are some things that, you know, is it exercising? Is it going to the movies? Is it, you know, going for coffee with girlfriends? Like these are other things that we can start implementing to replace that and to replace it. And it's going to start, that will eventually become the default because it's just, a, it's just rebuilding a new roadway, you know, to, um, to fulfill that need, those emotions that come up when I did something well and the same as well, I did something bad. So instead of you're eating self, eating yourself into further like depression or gloominess, what can you do in those moments that's different, that's going to help bring you back up? And it could be just talking to my mom, calling my girlfriend, going home and with a good book and my cat in my lap. Like they don't have to be big monumental things. The other great thing about that is when we're working through that process to establish better relationships and new neural pathways and foods not a reward or punishment, people then start to get a lot more comfortable with and understand that they can have those foods, but it's not the same relationship anymore. So you can go out and it's a family dinner, maybe it's somebody's birthday, so you have a piece of cake but you just don't feel compelled to have two or three pieces of cake and six glasses of wine. It's, it becomes more like food. Isn't this entity that has, is such a a control thing, such a powerful thing. Yeah. You said a lot of great stuff in there and I want (laughs) to just make sure I break it down a little bit. So what, what I hear you saying is that we replace the habit with something else. So when we're craving that food, when we have that emotional gravitation. So maybe our routine is, Hey, we come home from work. We're exhausted. We're going to sit in front of the TV and we're going to eat sugar. We're going to drink wine. We're going to eat a bag of popcorn, whatever, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. And we kind of mindlessly eat in front of that. But if we can kind of identify why we do that and then also look to say, okay, well, wait a minute. Um, what's driving me emotionally to yes. want to eat like this, then we can really start to unwind it. And what do I need instead? So if I'm lonely, 
and I'm sitting and I'm watching this, it might be good to give somebody a call, have somebody over, hang out with my animals. Right. And that's kind of what I hear you saying. Is that, is that accurate? Because we're operating of an old familiar that again is can is usually such a default system that people really aren't aware of it the same way somebody like myself is when I'm sitting like you know if I'm sitting across the desk from somebody talking to them I'm I'm like all the bells and whistles are going off and not so much with them because this is their familiar this is the norm you know they just want to lose weight it's that simple to them and I'm hearing all the other things so once they become aware of that. And they have a really good understanding of that. And they're starting to implement other things. They, they, you know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with getting to that point where I just, I did have a bad day at work. I just, I don't really, I don't really feel like going out. I don't feel like going to yoga tonight. But instead of eating the whole bag of popcorn, I'm going to make like a small single serve um, amount of popcorn for myself. I'm going to put on some music. I'm going to call my girlfriend. Like, cause that's, that's man, that's called, that's sustainable. You know, that is sustainable. It's just the uncontrolled when it, when it's, when it's sitting down and eating the whole bag, that's just mindless. There's no awareness there that's happening. So once somebody becomes aware, it, it, it's a complete game changer in the whole you know lifestyle plan. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that I think is really important that you said is we're going to do these small, sustainable changes. And and one example of that is like, Hey, like you can have a chocolate piece of cake when you go out with your friends. Like we're not restricting these foods. So what happens, what do you see happen when we just restrict? Oh, you can't ever have, you can never have, you should never do. What happens to people's mentality and mind um, set when those become the rules or the parameters? Right. Oh, it's, it's, um, it's disastrous. It's disastrous. And even people with the best willpower with the greatest intentions can only do that for so long because you can't take away all the joy out of life. And you know what? A piece of cake can be great in the right moment and be part of a, I mean, like if you look at the calendar year, you can actually write it. I said this the other day in another podcast, you could probably write a thesis on 12 months of the year based on holiday dinners. You know, like because going back historically about bringing family and community together and celebrate, that's not a bad thing. Like none of those are bad things. So when we restrict people and tell them they can't have something, it becomes taboo. It becomes that one thing that now now you can't think of anything else. But even when you're because how do I say this? You're thinking about I can't have it. I don't want it. I can't have it. But all of that thinking about that you can't ends up being all that you think about. Right. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's very disastrous. It completely derails any, any like sort of healing of, of establishing a really great relationship with food. It certainly doesn't do anything to facilitate or support anybody in reaching their goals. And that is just simply realistically not humanly possible or sustainable. You, you really can't. And even in conversations I've had with people that have terrible food allergies, that there are foods that they just cannot have because it will kill them mm-hmm. like that bother that bothers them that they can't have peanut butter love peanut butter can't have it and all the substitutes don't you know it's just not the same thing so um and telling somebody that they like if you take a two-year-old and tell them you know don't touch that the first thing they're going to do is touch it the minute you turn around <laughs> right <laughs> totally yeah. and i i think that's very true there was an interesting study that i saw where they were talking about restrictive eating 
for a long period of time yeah. that was, and, and so they studied to see if there was weight loss that happened long-term. Okay. So you can only eat X amount. And I think after about, I think three months was like the breaking point. And what ended up happening was cortisol started to rise yeah. and their weight loss goals got sabotaged because they were so stressed out about what they couldn't eat. And they mm -hmm. were so stressed out. And the other thing that I've seen now, I don't know if you've seen this is when somebody gets so into a diet, they say, oh gosh, I can't even go over to that person's house for dinner. And so then you lose that social aspect that's so important for healing. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming you're seeing the same thing. Yeah, I mean, food is, I mean, I think it's kind of one of those things because you, you can go anywhere and there's food available, like a gas stations, uh, groceries. I mean, food is just readily available. It's legal and you can buy as much of it as you can afford. So it's, some, it's something that's available in massive abundance. Okay. And I think in all of that, it's just because it's, it's something we need to survive. We have to fuel our bodies and our minds. But I sometimes wonder if people really have that understanding of how powerful a force it is in our lives. I mean, food, like food is a very powerful thing. We use it to punish ourselves. We use it to reward ourselves. We use it to punish and reward others. We use it to, you know, um, we use it to bring families together. You know, uh, you know, we, we, we make, we make things and bring it over to families who've lost somebody. Like, I mean, food is just, it's such a massive part of human life and relationships and social gatherings that that's an important, it's an important factor that we have to look at. So to tell somebody you cannot have it, that that's just wrong. <laughs> you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't do that because again, that's all they're going to think about. So whatever, whatever their initial goal was like, I want to lose weight or, you know, I've been told I'm borderline type two diabetic, whatever their health goals are, the minute you put them into a restrictive environment, tell them what they cannot have. That initial goal is they're not even focused on that because all they're focused about is doing their best to not have the things that we have made no-nos for them. Someone asked me the other day about gut issues and what next steps they should take. And I realized taking the next step and realizing what's going on with your body can be stressful and complicated if you don't have the right information. So I've decided to create a gut health webinar in a digestible format so you can walk away with practical tips to transform your health. You can watch it right now at dranmariebarter.com. This gut health webinar will walk you through one, two, and three so you can solve the issue. The best part is, it's totally free. So go ahead and watch and download the gut health webinar at dranmariebarter.com. Yeah, it's been interesting. I agree because the more relaxed I've become with diet and practice, the more successful people are, or if you just do one change, um, yes. you know, like, oh, maybe, hey, like, how about you just have like two beers on the weekend versus drinking yeah. a six pack every night, yeah. <laughs> right? Just those small right. sustainable changes. How do you feel like we get to a place where we get more neutral with food? I think that comes, that comes with time. And I think it comes with the right coaching and support. Cause I, I like, I, I really do feel like it's an area where most people will need some kind of help and support because we all have those days where it's like, oh, I just want to have whatever and lots of it. And then it's like, oh, that's an emotional thing. I'm feeling this way. So I'm going to actually stuff myself with things that I know I shouldn't. But 
working through that process and knowing, well, okay, let's just step it back a bit. I've got the coaching. I know I can have some of this, but what else am I going to do in the meantime that's better for me that I'm going to add to that? To become neutral, I think when somebody gets to that or to get to that point is when they are getting to a place that the food and the like the food and that that emotionally driven element that's behind it is no longer in control anymore. All of a sudden, like the awareness is there, the understanding and the tools to work with that become the greatest influences more than the food. So now the person themselves is in control and it's almost like, yeah, becoming neutral or it's just less fear about it. You know, so it's like you, they can, they can go to the big family, the, the big family events with the buffet tables and all the stuff, and they can go there and enjoy that socially and know that there's an abundance of things to choose from, but that anxiety is gone because they are in control. They understand where they were coming from before, but that's different. And they have other tools and resources to use to navigate an event like that. And it's not, it's not um, this daunting event for them. Mm-hmm. It's dragging so much anxiety and fear. I mean, I think, you know, not knowing what, what to do, not knowing how we're going to react, how our body is going to feel afterwards. Oh gosh, did I do something wrong? It's just like so much panic and anxiety. Mm-hmm. We've almost stopped living, right? Right. Like we just did there because it, it carries such a heavy shame. There it is. It. You know, people, there you it know, is. people feel shame and it's like, they do. They just, they feel shameful. Like uh, I, I, I think there's lots of things. There's shame for, I can't lose the weight or shame because I'm gaining the weight shame because I don't have control shame because, you know, why can't I just live without this thing or shame? Because this is all I want. Like it's a shame, 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 you know, and it becomes very overwhelming in someone's mind. You know, what's interesting. And I think, um, I think that there's a very taboo subject, you know, we talk about race, but we don't talk really about obesity. We don't really talk about those hormones. And I think the shame is a huge piece of that. Well, I already feel bad about myself, so I'm going to eat some more. And, you know, there are hormonal imbalances, you know, that really play a strong role in that obesity piece. But at the root cause of that, do you really see kind of shame and a misunderstanding around that when somebody looks at somebody that might be overweight and they're like, well, they just can't, they just can't keep it in control. Like what's wrong with them. And, and yeah. that breaks my heart. I mean, I, that breaks my heart when I see that because there's just a lack of understanding or when I hear that I correct people, but do you feel like shame is a big driver on that? I think it can be. I think that, you know, I think that is definitely also going to be based on the person and kind of their support, like their family support system and stuff. But definitely like when it, you know, if we, you know, look at a population that, you know, falls into the category of obese, I would agree that there's probably more people than not that look at that and think, well, they just don't have control. They're eating the wrong foods. They're not exercising. They just have no control. They don't like themselves. They don't respect themselves. They don't love themselves. I think a lot of times people, when it gets out of control, like in that obese category can definitely fall into that of don't love myself, don't respect myself. Cause they do further just sabotage. Like it's too late. I'm too heavy. I'm too, all of these things. I'm too much of this that I can't possibly fix or remedy anything. Um, and they will fall into that. And certainly at that point, they let go of the control 
they don't kiss, they don't care anymore. Um, but I think initially, yeah, if you know, as the um, voyeurs, there's probably that's definitely I think the instant an instant reactive thought in a lot of people, as opposed to, I wonder what's happened that led them to get here. Like what else is going on or what has happened in their life that got help was a part of them getting here. Do you feel like your coaching is different based on where somebody is emotionally and also physically? Do you feel like your coaching varies quite a bit because I know a lot of folks will go out and they'll be like, well, I did this program and it didn't work for me. Right. It was kind of just, you know, sort of standard. There was no one-on-one personalized care. And so I've always been super impressed by that, that people can make a living doing that. I mean, I need, I I pretty much do one-on-one, but I'm, I'm curious what your experience has been. Yeah. uh, I don't have, there's no, there's never really been a cookie cutter plan. Cause it just, it isn't going to work. And anybody that came in looking for that, I was very clear on, I don't know that I'm the right person for you. I can give you lots of great names of people that I would recommend that will, will do that. But I need to start with where you're really at. And when I say that, I mean like authentically, genuinely, where are you at right now? You came to see me because you want to lose weight or you want a program for this, this, and this, but I need to go, we need to start the conversation from before then. Why? Like, what's the why, you know, and if it's uh, and and eventually like not everybody will, but eventually, you know, a, a lot of truths come out and that's where I can actually go. OK, so here's where we actually really need to start. I can help you. And this is coming, but we're going to start with this piece and then we're going to just keep building on. And those that actually stick with it, that can get on board with that kind of process. Um, what happens is that just sort of starts to pick up momentum very quickly and not to sound uh, cliche, but the parts sort of start falling into place to them much more easily because they're learning. I mean, I always felt my greatest success was when I coached myself out of a client that they didn't need me anymore. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the purpose. That's the purpose is to give them, help them with where they're at so they can get to where they want to be, but you have to give them the tools. And sometimes the tools they need, they needed them before they walked in the door. And so that has to be addressed or it's not going to work or it's only going to work for a very short time. I think that that is profound. And I think the fact that you coached yourself out of a client, that's really cool. That's a really Mm -hmm. good way to say it. I mean, I think I say, you know, every chapter has a, uh, every book has a beginning, middle and an end. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of how I look at it. But it, I mean, the exact same way. It's just, you don't need to be needed forever, right? <laughs> no. And everybody, I mean, realistically, everybody needs different things. So if, if my philosophy was about creating an eating plan and, and exercise programs and, you know, clearly altering them to some degree for each person, but even doing that, somebody who's postpartum versus somebody who's menopausal, completely different needs, like completely different needs, physically, nutritionally, and emotionally, very different. So even moderately tweaking and manipulating eating plans and exercise plans that sometimes some people have like a whole library of them, it's only going to be moderately effective because you're actually not addressing that specific person in front of you right now, what they need right now to get to where they, they're telling you they want to go. And so what's really funny is sometimes, you know, three months into the process, 
all of a sudden the goals they thought they wanted have also changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that too. If somebody gets better and better and better, their goals get bigger and bigger and bigger because they know yeah. they can achieve it, which yes. I think is, I think that's a huge testament because you stop thinking small and you start thinking bigger and you're like, I could, I can actually achieve X, Y, Z. I could do this, which is pretty powerful. So yeah. When people start feeling healthy and strong, they don't only like they start to feel better, but what they see reflected back in the mirror changes too. They see themselves very differently. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And I, I, you know, you're doing individualized coaching. Do you feel like there is a lot of bad advice floating out there about diet and lifestyle. I think, you know, I think there's a lot of amazing advice. I think the field of nutrition and health and wellness, well, just the fact that now wellness is a word included in that. Because when I, 20 some years ago, when I started that wellness was considered like fluff talk, like only, only people that were in yoga use the word wellness, right? So I love that we're actually growing and maturing in this area. Um, But yeah, I I think there's, I think there's a ton of bad advice, but I think the bad advice, I think there's equally as much really great advice. I don't know that it's getting the publicity because like, let's look at social media. You know, you don't necessarily, because you maybe know the, know the most, you're the most credited, maybe the most knowledgeable, have um, great, a great track record, but if you're, how do I say, if you're not posting pictures of yourself in a bikini with your six pack, you're not going to get the views and the clicks and the likes. You're not going to get the attention necessarily. So um, I think we just live in an age where the social media platforms are so massive and so huge and so influential. It's allowed for, it's allowed for a lot of bad information to make its way out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Was there anything that I didn't ask that you think is really important that we add today? Um, gosh, no, I think like we covered as a far ton, as I, a ton. You know, we covered a ton and I think we hit on, I mean, um, it must be, I don't know, it must be a full moon or something coming. Cause I just, I did a podcast the other day. Um, and we talked so much about this, how like relationships with food and that, element of, um, and I sometimes get the eye rolls when I talk about like mind, body, spirit connection, but you know, this is one huge shell and you're either like building a house cards or you're building a really solid structure. Um, and ideally you want to build a solid structure. So it's all connected. Like, you know, your bones are connected muscles, all of that's connected, but so is your brain and inside your brain there's this massive powerhouse that you know, basically you take in information and you have belief systems, you have perceptions, you have all of these things going on that influence the decisions you make and the actions that you take. And we can't take food or ex- like food and health out of that because these are decisions we're making or not making and actions that we're taking or not taking. And so I'm really on this huge, you know, parade right now to really drive home this message to people that getting that help, getting that support, but taking a step back when you set what your goals are, and then really taking that honest look and having incredible awareness about what is your relationship with food? What's driving you to do the things that you're doing? Because there's probably a lot of things right now that if you were able to scale back or get some support in would make a huge difference in like five pounds like really would. And then from there you can build and grow. 
That's a great summary and a great overview. I think it's giving people hope, uh, you know, out there. I think that that's really mm. important. And this is all about hope, you know, and exactly. knowing that you're not so far gone, you know, and, and oh, certainly yeah. you're not, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing that I hear is, oh, I thought it was too far gone. Oh, no, right. absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, right. So, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Okay. Well, we have um, the company that I'm with. Uh, they can find us on Facebook. So it's facebook.com slash critical bench. We also have Instagram's uh, page, instagram.com slash critical bench. And I also have um, a free PDF for uh, listeners today that they can get at, I'll, I'll give you these links, but uh, criticalbench.com slash immune boost. It's just five natural ways, things that, that people can be doing every day to just help build a healthy immune system. So I think we're kind of, I think that uh, especially in the last year and a half has become more of a priority for people, which I think is great. You know, uh, there's a Japanese saying that out of crisis comes opportunity or out of crisis comes like something. So I'm like, you know, with the pandemic and everything that happened, I think is like, that was terrible. But it was a huge eye opener for a lot of people to like, oh, I really need to, I really want to start taking care of myself better. So I'm like, very grateful for that. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here and really oh, talking thanks. about the relationships and the associations with food. I think that this is just such a important piece that really sabotage, sabotages people's yeah. weight loss, their goals. And so thank you so much just for coming on today. Oh, just you're welcome. About Thanks that. for it's, having me. <laughs> it's always such a pleasure to see you. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Gut Health Reset Podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a rating and a review so more people can hear about the podcast. And hey, take a screenshot of this episode and tag Dr. Anne Marie on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Anne Marie Barter. And for more resources, just visit DrAnneMarieBarter.com.